listening to From the Friars podcast, the community of Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, headquartered in the Bronx, New York City. My brothers and sisters, may the Lord give you peace. Amen. Amen. Welcome. Welcome, everyone. Bienvenidos. I'm going to attempt to summarize my homily in Spanish, okay? Como se dice well in Espanol? Bueno. Bueno, okay. Is that right? <laughs> Pozo? No, okay. Well, where you get agua. Bozo. I thought pozo, but it's bozo. Okay. Bozo, okay. A nuestro Señor Jesús dicen, tengo sed. Tengo sed. ¿Por qué tengan sed? Tengan uh, sed por nuestro fe. Jesus is thirsty for our faith. Oración este tengan de Dios, encuentro nuestros tengo, tengamos. <laughs> Prayer is the encounter between God's thirst and our thirst. Amen. Okay, that's all I got. <laughs> Lo siento. I wish I spoke Spanish better. My friends, welcome. We have a few welcomes to offer. Uh, we have Deacon Robert Ross with us. Deacon will be ordained a priest, God willing, June 3rd. Diocese of Gary, Indiana. So welcome, Deacon. His father did the first reading, Tom Ross. Tom is one of the guys who's keeping this place from collapsing. So he's here working and, you know, helping us. So no relation to the painter Bob Ross, right? Okay, so, all right. So happy little trees. Okay, so welcome. They're on their way to Fatima tomorrow. Okay, so praise God. Pray for us. Okay. Um, brothers and sisters, this reading is so amazing. It is such a great story. The church gives us today these marvelous readings, the encounter with Jesus and the woman at the well. Jesus and the woman at the well, John chapter 4, so many details there that are just amazing. In the Greek Orthodox Church, she is venerated as a saint. They call her Saint Photina. The word Photina in Greek means a woman who has been enlightened. Think of Photo. So Fotina, Saint Fotina, we don't really know her name, it's not given to us, but she's a wonderful saint, and we have this story, which is really beautiful. And uh, for any of you who've been to the Holy Land, they um, do know where this well is. At the time of Jesus, this was an ancient well. It is the well of the patriarch, Jacob Israel. And it's the place where he met his wife, Rachel. So there's a thing in the Bible about um, meeting your spouse at a well. Remember that old song from, is it um, Fiddler on the Roof? Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Find me a find. <laughs> okay, so there, there's, there's a, some nuances of marital imagery here. Jesus being God, Yahweh, who is the groom. This woman who's symbolic of the church, the bride. Something very profound and beautiful that's happening here. And um, sometimes when you go to the Holy Land, you can make it to this shrine where the well is. It's not a very safe neighborhood, so sometimes you can go, sometimes you can't, but there's a big, beautiful Russian Orthodox church, and in the basement of that church is a little chapel, and in that chapel is this well. It's definitely the one. And I'd never forget going down there with some of the pilgrims. You stand around the well, you open your Bible to John chapter four, and we read this beautiful account of Jesus encountering this woman, and it really is something 
beautiful and profound. Um, I'm going to talk more about that at the Holy Hour right after Mass. Um, but for the homily today, I would like to focus on really one detail, one single detail. There's a lot of details here, but there is one detail which is kind of interesting. So we, we see Jesus having this encounter with her. There's a conversation about water, regular water versus what Jesus will call living water. And then she has this big, beautiful conversion, and she runs off to the town to tell everybody about Jesus. And we're told the woman left her water jar and went into the town and said to the people, come and see the man who told me everything. She left her water jar there. She remembered there's, it's the days before plumbing. You went to the well every day to get water, and you had a water jar that you would go so why did John, why did the Holy Spirit through John want us to know that she left that water jar there? What does this mean? Like, how do we understand this? And uh, some, if you read different commentaries on this passage, some people see this as symbolic of her leaving behind her old life. She's being made new in Jesus. So there's something there. She's coming to the well in the middle of the day, right? Because she's, a, she's ashamed of her sinful life. She's had all these different... Uh, guys and she's not married to the guy she's with so she would come in the middle of the day most of the ladies would go early in the morning when it was cool so she's at the middle of the day in the midst of her shame but she leaves that vessel there and so here here's the thought for for our prayer today the well the well clearly is symbolic of Jesus who is the living well the water is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, who is the living water that Jesus will give. And that jar, she leaves the jar there because she now is the jar. She is a living jar. And her, she is now filled with the living water because of her encounter with Jesus. And she goes to bring that living water to everyone. That's what you do. You go to the well because it's the desert. You go to the well and you get the water and then you bring the water to the places where it's needed. She, as the living jar herself, is now bringing the living water to the people in the town who are thirsty for that living water. How beautiful is that? In this way, she becomes an icon and a role model for the church for evangelization. So my friends, it is true that our times right now are very strange. The world is, just when you thought it couldn't get any crazier, just look at the news, it's getting crazier and crazier. And the people of today, I think it's, it's not an exaggeration to say that the people of today were living in a spiritual desert, a wasteland. And brothers and sisters, the Lord is calling us to be like this woman. As we come to Holy Mass, the living well is right here. It's the altar. There's another place in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, I thirst, and that's on the cross. And then the living water and the blood come out of his heart. And this altar now is the living well. It's the cross in our day. And a normal well would be dug down into the earth to get to the water. A supernatural well digs up to heaven. And Jesus himself will come down on this altar, the living fountain, to give us the living water. And we become living jars. We receive him. We're filled with the grace of the Holy Spirit. And we need to bring that living water to the world, to our brothers and sisters who are dying of thirst in the desert. Let us pray for that grace this day. Let us be inspired. St. Fotina, pray for us.
Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. So my friends, just an opportunity for a further reflection on what I shared at the homily, and then we'll have uh, the beautiful Divine Mercy Chaplet, and then we'll have benediction. So you may have noticed at the end of Mass, I did not give the blessing. The Church has the offer to allow holy adoration to in some ways extend the Mass, and then Jesus himself will be the one giving the blessing for those who stayed here to pray. You get that blessing from the Lord, which is beautiful. And um, one of the ideas that led us to offer these holy hours is it seems like it's a major, major problem in our own time where people don't have any silence in their life. Modern life tends to be life that is constantly bombarded with noise, noise of different types, right? And that noise ends up being a distraction from prayer, a distraction from the ability to hear Jesus. And so that was part of the idea. It's like, try to create a space so stillness and silence to be in the presence of Jesus who is truly present. He's right there. And um, it's one of those things where sometimes we have Jesus here and I see people going to statues and I want to say those statues are not it's car- we love statues. Don't get me wrong. Just don't touch them. <laughs> There'll be signs everywhere. Do not touch the statues. And you see people. <laughs> it's like, ah. But so, for example, you see the statue of Jesus on the cross. You see Jesus. He's not really there. That's a piece of wood that was carved and painted. It's a holy reminder, which is wonderful. We look upon it, we see it with our eyes, and it reminds us of the Lord, but he's not really there. It's a symbol. The host, you don't see him. It looks like a piece of bread, but he is really there. This is not a figure. This is not a symbol. This is not some sort of man-made reminder. It is the real presence of Jesus, the true presence. Jesus is really right here. Body, blood, soul, and divinity. And so at the moment of the church where there's Eucharistic adoration, Jesus is exposed to the beautiful vessel known as a monstrance. It's somewhat inappropriate to go and touch statues. This is the focus. When Jesus is exposed on the altar, this is the focus. He's really there. And one of the the, the impetus of the U.S. bishops, they did these polls, and they found out that a shocking number of people in America who identify as Catholic either don't understand or don't believe the real presence of Jesus. And so there's this really Holy Spirit-inspired movement led by the bishops, the leaders of our church, the bishops, what they're calling the Eucharistic Revival. In all sorts of efforts throughout the whole church, including our own diocese and here at the shrine, new efforts at refocusing and reconsidering this most treasured 
gift that we have, the presence of Jesus himself, mysteriously present, sacramentally present in the Eucharist. It's so important. And so often in the Mass, the liturgy, things are moving. There's songs, there's hymns, there's readings, there's prayers, and then boom, you're gone. So the gift of Eucharistic adoration has a moment to, in some ways, spiritually hit the pause button. It's like, let's take a moment to be still, to be silent, offering a space and a time for the Lord to speak. It really is a gift. What a gift it is to be here in the presence of Jesus. So a little, a little reflection for us. All the many pilgrimages that I've been blessed to make to the Holy Land, you go over there and you get to see so many places that are familiar because of the stories from the Bible. You go around to these different areas and you open your Bible and you're like, this is where this happened. This is where that happened. And, and so it's just amazing because if you've never been to the Holy Land, these are just stories that you've heard. Maybe you've um, watched it in a movie. But um, in some ways, without realizing it, you could start to develop the idea that the land of the Bible, or we call the Holy Land, is in some ways like a fairy tale land. It's this magical land where God things happened, and it's, in, it's far, far away, right? That's how we start fairy tales, isn't it? In a land far, far away, <laughs> at a time long, long ago, there were dwarfs and hobbits, and <laughs> okay, but it, it is not that. It is reality. And uh, the thing that really struck me powerfully in all of these places where you see things that happened in the Bible, the, the thing that really started to highlight for me was all of the people that Jesus encountered. Those are my favorite places. So the well, where Jesus encounters the woman at the well and some of the details of that encounter have been preserved for us in John chapter 4. You get to see how Jesus spoke to people, how he interacted with them. I think of Zacchaeus, the little short guy in Jericho. He climbs the tree, the sycamore tree, to see Jesus. I think of Caesarea Philippi in Matthew 16, where Jesus says to Simon, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. There, throughout the Holy Land, there are these locations where we hear stories of Jesus having an encounter with real people. And all of those taken together are really something amazing. And as you go there and as you, you visit those places, as you read those stories from your Bible, something happens. You start to feel a yearning or a longing grow in your own heart and you find yourself turning to God and telling him, I want to encounter you. I want to meet you. I want to speak with you. I want to hear you speak with me. This longing for an encounter. It's why my favorite quotes from Pope Benedict, Cardinal Ratzinger, Christianity is not about a set of rules. It's not an ethical system. It's not a philosophy. It's an encounter with a person, Jesus. And there are different ways that we can encounter him now, but the way par excellence is here in the Eucharist. This is the source at the summit of the Christian life. 
That's why I love praying and Eucharistic adoration. There are moments when you pray and you have some sort of an experience. Ooh, I feel his presence somehow. I know he's there. There are other moments when you don't feel anything. (laughs) And what's so wonderful is it doesn't matter what I'm feeling. He's there. I love that. I know we have you. (laughs) You're captive. (laughs) He makes himself captive. He chooses to become captive, to be there and available. He's so available. And Jesus is such a great listener. If you, if you want, he'll let you do all the talking. <laughs> Some of you like that, don't you? <laughs> he, but he's there. He's truly present. We can encounter him. You know, it, it's like as if you had been given an opportunity to meet and talk with anybody in the whole world. Who would you like to meet? Who would you like to talk with? Imagine there's probably a list of people, huh? But the top of that list really is God himself. That's what we long for. We want to see God. We want to hear God. We want to be in his presence. And in a mysterious and profound way, this gift is being given to us, particularly in the presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. You see, brothers and sisters, just acknowledging that Jesus is truly present here, that's just the beginning. That's Eucharist 101. There's so much more. It's like a very deep well. It's actually, it's like a bottomless well. The mystery of God. It's the one subject you should never be given a master's degree in theology. You never master the topic of God, (laughs) right? The minute you think you've got that figured out, you're definitely dealing with something other than God. (laughs) If you're dealing with God, he is beyond our grasp. Somebody once said to me, and I thought it was so good, if God was small enough for your brain, he wouldn't be big enough for your problems. (laughs) You know, so we're before a mystery here, and it is a mystery of love, a mystery of goodness, a mystery of grace, of divine forgiveness, a mystery which beckons to us, the one who made us. This is the one who made us. We're made in his image and likeness. This is the one who saved us, our creator and our redeemer. This is the one who loves us more than anyone else. I hope we've all had experiences of of being in relationships with people we knew they loved us. That's so important. But you will never meet anyone who loves you as much as Jesus does. And so to spend time with the one, like why wouldn't we want to spend time (laughs) with the one who loves us more than anyone, huh? who fulfills us, completes us, who gives our life meaning and purpose. You won't find that anywhere except for right here with the Lord. And you you feel it shining through those stories, the encounters with the people, the woman at the well. You feel that that's what's happening. What else could explain how she behaves? She leaves behind that water jar and you would think that if you met a man who told you everything that you ever did, you would run and hide, right? The, the embarrassment of it all. But she does something quite opposite. It's shocking. Brother Pius was giving a th- psychological explanation of it. Thank you, brother. It was so good. She goes and tells everybody 
This is the undoing of Adam and Eve who ran and hid. She does the opposite. (laughs) She does not run and hide. She runs and tells everybody. But her telling people is clearly an invitation because then they come and see the Lord for themselves. And then at the end, we're told we no longer believe in him because of your word, but because we've met him. Again, this is a paradigm and a role model for the church, our evangelization, that we exist to evangelize, to witness to our relationship with the Lord and to tell others about him and to invite them to Jesus, to invite them to Jesus. You know, and that's not just for priests and monks and nuns and bald-headed, bearded, zealous people. (laughs) (laughs) It's for everybody. Since Vatican II, the church has been trying to convince us. You know, there's no more just going to Mass on Sunday and checking off the box. And, And I did my obligation. There's no more of that. You know, that we each are called to be like that woman, to encounter Jesus, to experience his grace, and then to joyfully bring him to everyone we meet. Um, so we, we thank God for that call, for that grace. You know, to be here in his presence is wonderful. And I think the prayer of the Chapel to Divine Mercy is such a perfect prayer, kind of bring the theme of today to a response. You know, calling down the mercy of God upon the world, calling down the love and mercy of Jesus on everyone. Thank you for listening. been listening to from the friars podcast the community of franciscan friars the renewal please visit us at franciscanfriars.com or on social media cfr underscore franciscans mm-hmm.